I want to ask you, we're going to get into the scripture in just a little bit. I want to ask you, what is one of your worst fears? I'm going to hear from you. What's one of your very worst fears that you have? Anybody? If you were to put something up the top of the list, what would be a worst fear? Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah. Health issues? Cancer? There's all kinds of stuff. Darkness? Wild animals? My mom was petrified of snakes, even the little garter kind. I remember coming home one day when I was in high school, and the neighbor came over to me very concerned. He said, uh, Barry, just want you to know, I saw your mom running laps around the house. And when I approached her, when getting home, I said, Mom, what was going on? She says, I was out in the flower bed and a snake crawled over my hand. And I just it just freaked me out. And I started running around the house. Some people are freaked out from ghosts and evil spirits. Some of these... Uh, Horrific horror movies uh, they seem to get more graphic as the years go by. Some people have a fear of having no money, not being able to pay the bills or uh, no food. A friend of mine uh, lost recently his wallet. Someone stole his wallet, he claims, and uh, all the credit cards were in there. That would be a major, major deal. Death is also a fear. Imagine your, any one of your fears becoming a reality. That would be a bummer. And you being powerless to stop it. I remember when I was overseas in Germany in the military, I was um, went with my friend George to a rock concert down in the Frankfurt area in Germany. And I'm the kind of guy, I like my space. I don't like tight quarters. And I have a claustrophobia. I mean, you put me into a closet and you'll see claw marks on the door trying to get out. Well, in Europe, they have a difficulty lining up or what they call queuing up, Q-U-E-U-E, queuing up, making sure orderly. The, the last guy to get there is the last of the line. Well, that's not how they do it in in Europe, in many cases, even on the skiing slopes, you're standing there close to the chairlift and somebody comes skiing in in front of you and they'll get on the chair in front of you. Well, at this entrance to the rock concert, it was such a large crowd trying to get into a narrow space. Instead of lining up orderly, the crowd got tighter and tighter and tighter the closer we got to the entrance, like from here to the doors there, it took us probably about 20 minutes because at one point we were so packed in, I, could, I couldn't even lift my arms from the side of my body. It was so tight. And my friend George is shorter than I was, and I could see looking over at him, he was about ready to faint. And I was starting to freak out because I liked my space. We finally, as the crowd in waves were pushing closer to the gate, 
we finally got up to the metal bars that separated the gate area from the crowds behind it. And at the last second, as we got close to the gate, we would have been crushed had we not grabbed the bar in front of us and pushed back the guy in back of us. We pushed back and we ducked underneath and got inside. It took probably about 35 or 40 minutes to go a distance of about 20 yards. That was one of my worst fears. As we enter the book of Revelation, we see the judgment of God on this world ruled and dominated by evil men. And people's worst fears are being realized. The destruction of everything around them, the lack of money to buy food, famine, starvation, the weather turning really, really bad, making Hurricane Florence look like a Sunday school picnic. And these judgments from the hand of God are revealing His power and His wrath on evil. And it shows the hopelessness and the helplessness of feeble mankind to stop these judgments. Last week, the message was on the rapture. And there are some handouts back there. If you missed last week's, please raise your hand. I want you to get these notes so that uh, you're able to, um, uh, to able to follow what's going on. I'm going to continue to keep a set of notes as we go along. In case you miss one of the services, at least you'll have uh, the, the notes with you. So if you need, if you missed last week, please raise your hand. We'll get you the, the set of notes. There's some over there. And uh, there's some up here. Thank you very much, Kathleen. And I'm keeping you busy today. The rapture, as we found out last week, was basically taking God's people out of the earth by his divine power to escape judgment. The judgment of God is coming on this world. And God is going to take his church out of the world so that they will not be part of that judgment. That's good news. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to having being a part of the last days on this earth. And the rapture is ushering people into the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for their acts and their words of godliness while they're Christians. Let me emphasize that again. Everything that you do and say you will stand before God one day and give an account of your life. The Bible says that those acts and words that were selfish or motivated by selfish things or ungodly in any way will be burned up by the power of God. And those things that honored Him and were unselfish in caring and, and being a blessing will pass through the fire of judgment and you will have these precious stones and jewels and rubies and whatever to carry with you into eternity. Those things will pass through the fire of the judgment seat of Christ. So that's what's going to happen at the rapture. We'll be taken up out of this earth in the twinkling of an eye, quicker than you can blink. We'll be gone. And we'll be standing before Jesus. It will be a good time. It will be a scary time, but a good time because now we'll be in his presence forevermore. We won't have to worry about, 
you know, going back and making sure the PGD bill is paid or any of this other stuff that is part of our life, we'll be in God's presence and he will be with us forever and forever. And remember, keys, keep this in mind, please. These messages are meant to warn us about coming events on earth. And as the history of man draws to a close, man's history is coming to a close. These messages are meant to stir us up as Christians to draw closer to Christ. I study and research so that I can put these things together. And in your bulletin, you should see the the notes for today's message. So you can follow with me as I do this as I go through today's message. It's to stir us up, to draw us closer to Christ. It's to motivate us to proclaim truth to our neighbors. We have the goods. Christians have the truth to speak to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are wondering today, what is truth? What's right? What is the standard of righteousness? And we have the answer. It's through the Bible, through Jesus Christ, through what he says in his word. We have the answer. And then, of course, it's to cause us to repent of ungodly and selfish living and to turn to Jesus. I can't tell you how many times, and I've said this many times before. If you heard it before, please forgive me. But I I have to say this. How many times have people come into these doors and they seem to be on fire, wanting to get closer to Christ, and then, boom, they're gone. And this is not directed to anyone in an individual per se. It's just over the 12 and a half, almost 13 years my wife and I have been here. If everyone stuck with us, we would be having three or four services and people would be peering through the windows because the, the, the crowd would be so great. Where is everyone? Well, I can tell you that there's a lot going on to take people away from hearing the word of God. It's out there. It's amazing. And I'm just sharing you with my pastor's heart because truthfully, I want everyone here to experience the joy of knowing Jesus and to living for him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, the very first part of the book of Revelation says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. My wife and I are reading this book together at home. We're you know, taking a section at a time. We're not reading the whole thing. It'll take us a while. Section at a time. And if there's a blessing for those who read the words of this book. And blessed are those who hear it. And take it to heart what is written, because the time is here. So just being in the service today is a blessing for you to hear about the end times and what's going to be happening. So you're blessed today. Hallelujah. You didn't know that, did you, huh? You're thinking, i got to endure this guy for how much longer? Oh, my goodness. And my stomach is already growling. I'm hungry. Starting at Revelation chapter 4. John writes, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, I will show you what must take place. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. 
And the one who sat on it had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow encircled, resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightnings, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. John is called up to heaven. It's symbolizing the rapture of the church. And Christ is already there. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 11, it says, After this, after the resurrection of Jesus and his 40 days on earth, he was taken up before the disciples' very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky. Ugh as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So right now, Christ is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is on earth. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he is about to, this thing is about to unfold before him. And so he calls John, the apostle who wrote this, up to him. John had just finished writing as Christ dictated him in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to the different churches, the church age. All the believers, alive and dead, are raptured into the presence of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. So anything righteous or anything good or anything holy and pure is gone. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine this world without Christians anymore? without churches, without missionaries. Gone! What's left? The ungodly. Those who have rejected Christ to do what they want to do. In Revelation 4, as I just read, John is now in the throne room of God. And what a scene. Precious stones, brilliant rainbow encircling the throne. Uh, John was trying to describe it in plain words, but he couldn't. It was so dazzling. The majestic presence of God. Twenty-four elders. These are actual men representing the scope and the history of the church. They're sitting on 24 thrones, which basically says that we will be honored one day when we come into God's presence. There's going to be a ticker tape parade, bar none, when each of us gets into his presence. It's going to be wonderful. And sitting on a throne, we will be honored by God. So it's symbolic of that. And then the power of the throne of God, lightning and thunder and seven lamps, The perfect spirit of God is basically what that's saying. And then there are four living creatures. There are special angels that do God's bidding. And this whole thing is wrapped up in worship. So let's finish chapter 4. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, starting at verse number 6, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. That's interesting. I'll explain that in a second. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. So the seed is worship. Worship. 
the, the kind of worship that we've never experienced before. Some of you have been exposed to really, really, really good worship. Uh, Hillsong, uh, there's a Hillsong started in Australia, and it's now worldwide. My son Andrew is really connected to that. He's a he's a musician, and he really wants to get into worshiping God. Well, that's great, but it's nothing compared to the throne room of God, where the it is just you're caught up in it. It's so glorious. It's beyond my ability to describe. The throne room of God and the worship going on there. And then I saw verse in chapter 5, In the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Imagine this as a scroll, poor representation of one, but the scroll as it's held by the one who sat on the throne, God Almighty, has writing on both sides, and there's seven seals going up and down the scroll. Seven seals. Imagine. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? No one in heaven on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside because they weren't worthy. And then John writes in verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Then one of the 24 elders said, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And this verse coming up that I'm about to read describes Jesus in his eternal body. You see, Jesus is the only eternal resurrected body that will have marks on it. Verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So the worship begins again. The Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the earth, comes and takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne, God the Father, the Almighty takes the scroll and the scene of worship does it happens again the 24 elders the four living creatures bow down and worship the lamb who has the holes in his wrists his hands and on his feet hallelujah and the worship continues and continues and continues and now just to explain briefly before I get into the seals, the seven horns described here indicate perfect power, the omnipotence of God. The horn was a signal, animal's horn signified power. And the seven eyes signified perfect knowledge, omniscience, omniscience. The scroll contained three sets of judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and then, of course, The worship continues, and now we get into the seals. Let's start with the first one, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! Another translation says, Come and see! 
I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, been on conquest. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Does that kind of ring a bell with you? This is the beginning of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first four seals. The first seal was opened or was given by the first living creature. The first living creature said, come. And so John went over and looked. And as Christ opened the first seal, the rider with a white horse came out. He had a bow. And the bow represents conquering. And the rider is not Christ. Christ appears later on in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. This is not Jesus. This is the Antichrist, the opposite of Christ. Full of hate, full of vengeance, and full of evil. The world is looking for a conqueror, a mediator, somebody to bring all these different factions together, I hope they can start with our own Congress and work their way up. You know what I mean? Nobody gets along. Our society is polarized between the the left and the right. This Antichrist promises peace and prosperity. He's a military genius. He's a mesmerizing uh, statesman. And he is going to be attempting to unite all the governments of the world under his authority. It's the beginning of the tribulation period, which lasts for seven years. This is the first of the half section, the first of the three and a half years. This Antichrist, let's look at some of, a couple of, of, of scriptures that describe him. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. This is out of Daniel chapter 9. The seven is, means uh, seven, uh, uh, seven years. But in the middle of that seven, three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And one who causes desolation will place the abomination on the wing of the temple. What that simply means is this. In the middle of the tribulation seven-year period, at the end of three and a half years, this Antichrist will go into the temple in Jerusalem, which will be rebuilt. I've been there before, the Temple on the Mount. Right now, it's a huge uh, a Muslim mosque. But the Jews will be allowed to build a temple there. And the, uh, this Antichrist will go into the temple. And he will claim himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped and even sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So, The first seal, broken, the rider and the white horse come out to conquer, to bring the nations together. The second seal, Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, the ox or the calf, say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. 
Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. The second seal is broken. The second horse comes out, red, signifying a sword, power to take peace from the earth, to stir people up, to kill one another. You think it's bad now? Cities like Chicago, the murders and the assassinations and all the things going on, it's going to be worse. It's going to be awful. Talk about your house being a fortress. Just about every person will have to have some kind of uh, defense. Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things much happen, but the end is still to come. Verse 21, For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those days, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. There will be mass murders. People will be killing each other. Bloodshed and assassinations and revolutions around the world because of the rider on the red horse. You guys with me? Some of you are nodding out. All right, next one. Revelation chapter 6. Starting, yeah. Verse 5 says, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, The man, come and see. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. The third seal is broken. Out rides the rider on a black horse. And the black horse has a pair of scales, balances, that indicate power over trade, commerce, and the economy. There will be famines and starvations and shortages of food. What you saw on the screen was just a foretaste of what's about to happen. And it says, interesting, a quart of wheat for a day's wages. A quart of wheat, it's been determined, is just enough food for one day. So you will work one whole day, and the wages you earn on that day will buy you just enough food to keep you alive. The oil and the wine that is mentioned here it signifies affluence, wealth, and luxury. And the rich and the influential and the powerful will still have special privileges as they have today. But starving people, If they're starving to death and they have the ability to do that, they will kill one another to get something to eat. And so it will multiply. It will get worse. It's estimated, 2018, the world's population is 7.5 billion. By 2030, there will be 8.6 billion. By 2050, there will be 9.8 billion. And by 2100, the estimation will be 11.2 billion people on the face of the earth. The world's resources are slowly being used up. The fuel, the oil, the pollution of air and water, the animals and plants for food are slowly being... The amount of people on the earth will grow and the amount of food to feed them will stay the same or will be less. So famine, 
Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Doesn't look like a good, pretty picture, does it, huh? Verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. In another translation, come and see. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. The Greek word for pale is chloros, which means green or light green. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. So what's been taking place, wars and famines by the sword, will now come into focus, and this fourth horse will ride out with a rider, and the fourth horse is labeled Death and Hades. In other words, death is going to take place over most of the earth through all of these things, including wild beasts. And Hades, which is another word for hell, it's the Greek word for the, the place where the, where the souls of the dead are kept, will be there, and Hades will come right behind death and will scoop up all of the souls of the dead, all the people who died without Christ. The wild beast, the Greek word there, is the same as Acts 28. When Paul, the apostle, was on his way to Rome and he had a shipwreck and he and his fellow shipmates were on this island and he was trying to start a fire to keep warm and to cook some food, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, Acts 28, and as he put it on the fire, a viper came out of the brush and latched onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from Paul's hand, they said, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The same word for snake or viper is used with this particular verse in Revelation, possibly meaning that wild beasts, not so much maybe lions and tigers and bears, but venomous snakes will proliferate and be all over the world. Numbers chapter 21 I hear some of you already kind of shivering like, there was a scene when the Israelites were out in the desert and they were complaining against God. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. Why did you bring us out here? Why did you bring us out to die? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. So the Lord sent venomous snakes amongst them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Please pray that the Lord will take the snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people and the plague was stopped. Snakes will proliferate as well as other wild beasts. Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pangs or sorrows. And then the fifth seal, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Hang with me. There's more. It's not going to be a fun time. Starting at verse number 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. 
and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now, this is what's going to happen. Christians are taken out of the earth in the rapture. All of these seals are being broken, and things are happening on the earth. And in the midst of that, there is going to be two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. We'll get to that in, in, in another message. But they will be brought to earth, and they will be impervious to death until they proclaim the message of Christ. And then you have another group of people, 144,000, who are Messianic Jews. They are evangelists like Billy Graham, and they will be preaching the message of the gospel all over the world. And people who are alive during this tribulation time, who will hear the message and will not give in to the Antichrist, or receive the mark of the beast, or any of that stuff, will give their hearts to Jesus, and when they do, they will be killed. And they will be brought up to heaven, and there they will be before God. The other thing that would make a difference is the silent witness of the distributed Word of God. The Bible and remnants of the Bible are in every continent, every country around the world. And when things start happening, the unsaved will remember, you know, my, my, my Aunt Cherry, she was a Christian and she told me that this stuff might be happening. Where's her Bible? And you'll find the Bible and they'll read it. And they realize that everything is pointing towards Christ. They'll give their hearts to Jesus and they'll begin to be bold and make the proclamation and they will be killed. So to be a Christian during the tribulation, you don't have a very long lifespan. And these are under the altar. They're killed for their conversion. And they will be wearing white robes for the righteous deeds of the saints. And they cry out for revenge. How long, sovereign Lord? Verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. This earthquake will be worldwide. You think San Francisco and Asia, parts of Japan, you know, the earthquake, we don't feel it over here. This will be a worldwide earthquake. The sun will turn black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The moon will be turned blood red. The stars in the sky will fall to earth just as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky will be receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island will be removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man will hide in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They will call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So this sixth seal will be broken and the earth will be convulsed and the the nature will go wild. 
There'll be a huge worldwide earthquake unequaled in power. The sun will lose its light like in an eclipse. The moon will turn blood red. The stars will fall to earth. These aren't the regular stars because Psalm 148 says that God made the stars forever and forever to be in their place. So these will be meteors and asteroids that will be hitting the earth. And every mountain and every island will be shaken loose and will be leveled, basically. It will be a tremendous, it will be a horrible time. And the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. Revelation chapter 6 verse 14. The sky receded like a scroll. Back in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet prophesied about this. And he said, all the stars of heaven will be dissolved and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And every person on the face of the earth, rich and poor, powerful and powerless, whatever denomination, whatever profession they're at, will run and hide from the wrath of God. They will know that God is bringing judgment to the earth and they will cry out for death, but it won't happen. Pretty shaky. Three and a half years by this time will have gone by. The Antichrist will then go into the temple in Jerusalem, proclaim himself God. He will at that time have pretty much all the nations under him. They will be loyal to him. He will begin to oppress the Jews. And then in the book of Revelation chapter 7, I'm not going to read it. Basically it says that the 144,000 God will seal them and protect them from the murderous hatreds of Antichrist and his followers until their work of preaching is done. God has sealed his special servants in the past. He sealed Noah from the judgment of the flood. He sealed Rahab from annihilation at Jericho. He sealed Lot from the destruction at Sodom and Gomorrah. And God will seal 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams from destruction until they have proclaimed the gospel. And when the gospel is proclaimed, many of the inhabitants of the earth who had rejected Christ will open their hearts up to Jesus and give their hearts to Christ, at which time they will be killed. And then the scene in heaven, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, all the nations will be gathered. Many people from all nations will be gathered. White robes, palm branches, they'll be praising God. And then we get to chapter 8, the seventh seal. Chapter 8 says this, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It's like you're at a concert and there's a pause in the symphony and the conductor is raising the baton to begin the next score and everybody's going. Or you're holding your breath before you jump the 20 feet down into the pool from the high dive. It's like there's a pause. And there are seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets, the next set of judgments. So the seventh seal opens up the seven trumpet judgments. Another angel had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints, 
on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and another earthquake. So chapter 8 begins the trumpet judgments. The last seal is broken. The seven angels line up with their trumpets. Another angel comes by with this censer. You've seen the Catholic Church censers, haven't you? You know, they have this thing that they move back and forth, you know, the incense. It'll be like that, except it represents the prayers of the saints. And the angel will take the censer, he will dip it, in the altar of God, which will be full of fire, and he'll throw it to the earth. And when he throws it to the earth, there will be all kinds of chaos that will take place, rumblings and thunders and storms that makes Hurricane Florence look like a a Sunday afternoon shower. I mean, horrendous hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes, and of course, Earthquakes. Are you guys scared enough yet? There's more. We're not going to get into it today, but I can tell you that no one in their right minds wants to be on the earth even at the beginning when the seals are broken and the judgments get worse and more horrific, and worse, and more horrific. At the end of your notes on the second page there, what does this mean for you? Well, thanks, Pastor, for scaring the cheese out of me. What do I do now? Just ask yourself, are you truly serving God? Is your heart right with God? Have you given your heart to Christ? Are you really serving Him? And not playing games. And I'm not focusing in on anybody here. We're all sinners. We all do things that that disappoint God. But the key is, is to get back into his presence and to serve him. The Bible says the righteous man or woman falls seven times and continues to get up. Come on, let's go. We've we got things to do. Are you willing to take a chance with your soul and miss the rapture? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And I'll ask you today, as I do a lot of people that I come into contact with, if you were to stand before God today and He were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell Him? I I go to church once a month. I tithe whenever the pastor looks at me. I I try to be good. I try to do good things and think good things about people. Guess what? Next contestant. It doesn't cut it. What's the only ticket into heaven? Is to ask Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. Period. That's it. There's no fluff. There's no icing on the cake. It's simply that. The thief on the cross did not have any time to get off the cross and make things right. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
And he meant it. And we will see that thief one day in heaven. But for us right now, we have an opportunity to live for God and to, 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 to let go of all the junk and the baggage that we have accumulated over the years and really press on to know Him and to live for Him so that that one day when you're raptured up into His presence and you're standing before Him at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll have things to pass through the fire that will last through eternity. I want you to do that. I want you to have that. I'm rooting for you as your pastor. I really am. Bless your hearts. And I'm, I'm looking out at myself, too. There's things that I need to change. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, there's a lot. There's a lot. And I just pray that my precious brothers and sisters here will receive the teaching and the exhortation to live for you and to know, God, that you're not angry with us, but you're pleading with us to get back on the straight and narrow path and to work and to love you and to do what is right. God, thank you. You've given us a free will. And we want to exercise that free will to choose to love you and to choose to serve you with all of our heart. Thank you. That's all we can do, Lord. We can't give you anything else except our hearts. So we ask that you receive our hearts now, this morning. And God, I just pray your special blessing on each person here today. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them with peace, with joy with strength and courage and a witness for you, O God, we thank you. Provide for them and protect them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your